Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we follow the liturgical calendar and move through the end of Pentecost, we find ourselves quickly sprinting toward the end of the church year, with the first Sunday of Advent and the new year falling on December 3rd. Our readings, our gospel lessons, and even our hymnody for these last Sundays of the church year focus on the end times and the second coming of Christ. And today is no exception. As we prepare for Jesus' return and judgment, we also prepare as a church to remember Emmanuel, God born in the flesh, to dwell among us. It's at this intersection of the end of one church year and the beginning of the new liturgical year that we come full circle. God has come, and he will come again. Now, to properly understand what's going on in our text, we must consider some of the Hebrew wedding customs of the time. On the day of the wedding, the bride would wait for the bridegroom at a designated place, usually at the home of her parents, and she would be accompanied by a host of maidens. And just before the bridegroom's arrival, a herald would walk down the streets calling out, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. When the bridemaids heard the announcement, they were to rush out to meet the bridegroom, and then the bride would appear and join her husband-to-be, and they would process to where the wedding was to take place, and the wedding feast itself. In our text for today, we find that there were ten virgins who knew in advance that the bridegroom was indeed coming to take his bride to their new home. The young women were to be part of the celebration. They were to be ready when the groom came. And when he approached, the ten ladies were to light small torches, go out into the night, and escort the groom the rest of the way to the bride's house. But here, we see what happened to half of the wedding party. They were not ready. They were caught sleeping. They were caught unprepared. For when the bridegroom came for the wedding feast, they were not able to fulfill their duty. At first, they tried to take from others what they had failed to prepare. Then they went off to purchase the oil from merchants. And when they were gone, the bridegroom came. Those who were ready went to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And when the foolish virgins finally arrived... They demanded to be let in, but were, were answered with the reply, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Jesus told this parable about what it would be like at the end times, what it would be like when he comes back to earth to judge all people. Jesus used this imagery of the bridegroom to describe his relationship to the church. And it's not the first time that we see this relationship. In John 14, he tells us, In my Father's house are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will return again and take you to myself. 
in many ways, the Christian life is like the betrothal, and heaven will be like the marriage. Jesus warns that many who are invited to share in the eternal joy of his kingdom will miss out by failing to have a living faith at the end. Though some will be condemned for heinous crimes and gross sins, many more will fail to enter heaven because they neglected their faith. And in the gospel, Jesus reminds us that while our salvation is a gift outright, we were never meant to file it away after our baptism and certainly after not confirmation. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It requires action. God expects us to carry our cross, to take to the field, to live out our Christian faith each and every day until he returns. Now, before you go off and say, yeah, but pastor, it's all about faith. It has nothing to do with works. After all, we're Lutheran. Let me remind you of a few things. The center and the heart of our beliefs is the doctrine of justification, the teaching of how we are declared righteous in God's sight. And for years, the church has used watchwords to articulate that doctrine. A sinner is justified by grace alone, sola gratia, through faith alone, sola fide, for the sake of Christ alone, solus Christus, a truth revealed to us in Scripture alone, sola scriptura. Yes, it is true we believe that the grace of God alone saves. We believe that Scripture alone is the only authority and rule and norm for the church. We believe that it is Christ alone who redeems us through his salvific work on the cross. And we believe that it is that it is through faith alone that we are saved apart from works of the law. All of that is true. The fact is, however, that in many Lutheran circles, we've separated faith and works so much that works have fallen off the table. We tend to look and adopt our new position that the work of the church will somehow carry itself out by itself or at least it's relegated to the duties of the pastor alone, the board of elders alone, the custodians alone, or just someone else alone. Now it's true that we can be confused about good works, that good works we can do all day long and have a horrible relationship with God, but then again, they're not then good works. And we can have what some may describe as good moral character traits, honor, truthfulness, generosity, love, but do not know God or avail ourselves to his gifts. As we read in St. Paul, works without faith are hollow. And to paraphrase St. James, show me someone with faith and I will show you someone who does works. But pastor, you might say, we know we cannot live a perfect life, and yes, that is true. Though we are but mere sinners who will always come up short, the rhythm of the Christian life is one in which we come to God in repentance. God proclaims his forgiveness, 
and we speak back to God and to each other of the wonderful gifts that God has given. We've been given the gift of grace, but we are never, never meant to put God's grace on cruise control and not off. We're charged to be active, to be faithful, to be ready. For you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. You see, the wise maidens made their preparation, and we too must make ours. They lit their lamps in immediate anticipation, but they also laid a store of oil to stay ready. The foolish maidens thought that they could take life on their own terms, live it according to their own schedules. They found out that God is not to be taken for granted. He does not march to our own beat. He's not some doting distant relative that we're obligated to visit on the holidays. While God is infinitely loving and merciful, merciful as we see in this parable and throughout Scripture, we also know that he is infinitely just. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus preached and taught about repentance and turning away from the ungodly and back towards God. And Jesus reminds the disciples and us about such repentance in the parable of the ten virgins. Be prepared. Be always prepared. In the meantime, we're to take heart and to make ready your preparation. Keep watch for the bridegroom. Prepare for the return of the Lord. Repent of those things that separate us from the love of God in Christ. We can be constantly preparing by developing a character of loving, giving service, caring for others before we care for ourselves, feeding the hungry, giving shelter to the homeless, giving drink to the thirsty, visiting the ill and the captive, in other words, by loving our neighbor. Put the building of the kingdom of God first in our lives. Live your lives like we are God's servants every day, not trying to build ourselves up in the eyes of others, but rather giving all that we have to the glory of God's kingdom. Support the proclamation of the gospel and the equipping and training of pastors. Baptize your children and raise them in the faith. Place the word of God on your heart and on your minds and on your mouths. Partake each Lord's Day of God's Holy Supper, where you receive the forgiveness of sins and the strengthening of your faith. And having received God's gifts in word and sacrament, Go out and fulfill the good works that he has prepared for you. Live out your identity as a member of the royal priesthood of God and point those with whom you encounter to the place where God has promised to be, here in this place, in word and in sacrament. In the Apostles' Creed, we confess, from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. We confess this without fear but out of hope, in order to remember that our Lord has promised to return, to raise our bodies into heaven, and to bring us around the throne and be with him in eternity. Without forgiveness of sins, this would not be possible. 
For without Christ's death on the cross, this would not be possible. For without the shedding of blood, this would not be possible. There would be no forgiveness of sins. And without the forgiveness of sins, there is no life. Thanks be to God that he has given his new life, given us new life in holy baptism, in the Holy Supper, and in the proclamation of our forgiveness. O Lord, keep us ever filled, that we continually abound in faith, hope, and love for you, that we may be truly prepared for your return by loving you and loving our neighbor. Amen. Please rise. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.